very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And if you don't want to miss any portion of tonight's interview and all of our material, just go to our website and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. And if you want to declassify the secrets to your health and longevity and unlock your full potential, do the same. Go to sanitasradio.com and listen. You'll be able to sample the first part as well and decide for yourself. I know you'll enjoy it. Especially at the beginning of this year. It's a great time to make a change. And to get in touch with me, to offer suggestions, you have a comment, I always love to hear from you. Or if you want to be a guest on this radio program. Do it as well. Click on the contact button by going to veritasradio.com. And after six years, he is back. Tonight's special guest is Dr. David Jacobs. Professor Jacobs has uncovered disconcerting reports about aliens' plans for the future of Earth. He reported that a quote-unquote change is coming, a future when very human-like hybrids would intermingle with humans in everyday life. Soon we will all be together, the aliens said. Soon everyone will be happy and everyone will know his place. His new book is titled, Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity, which examines a disturbing phenomenon that Jacobs began noticing in 2003. The Alien Integration Action Plan has kicked into high gear. The incidents of alien abductions have accelerated as have occurrences of alien involvement in everyday human life. A silent and insidious invasion has begun. Alien hybrids have moved into your neighborhood and into your workplace. They have been trained by human abductees to quote-unquote pass, to blend into society, to appear as normal as your next-door neighbor. Tonight, we'll discuss the process of alien integration into society and the strategy and support structure that has been developed to make this happen seamlessly. Dr. Jacobs is a careful researcher who has investigated more than 1,150 abduction events experienced by more than 150 abductees. Dr. Jacobs is Associate Professor of History at Temple University, specializing in 20th century American history and culture. He began researching the controversy over unidentified flying objects in America in the mid-1960s and has amassed over 35 years of primary research data and analytical hypotheses on the subject. And we have a more comprehensive bio right on our website. His website is ufoabduction.com. And directly from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, I'm glad to welcome Dr. David Jacobs. Hello, David, and welcome back to Veritas. Hi, thank you very much. Uh, let me just correct you on one thing. I'm a retired professor. I retired in 2011. I almost said that, but I wasn't too sure. I'm glad you corrected me there. And David, it's been many, many years since you've been here with me, and, and you have investigated over 1,150 abduction events over the years. And the, the book, I believe, includes a fraction of those, 14 cases. Do you know enough now to theorize about who these beings are and what they are doing. 
I think I do. Now, you know, everything is up for grabs. I'm doing the best I can. So I, the best thing I can do is say, I, I think I do. I've been looking at the subject uh, with my own hypnosis uh, since 1986. And of course, I got interested in UFOs in the uh, in the late 19 and uh, the mid 1960s. So I've been sort of I've spent virtually my entire adult life uh, studying the subject and I think I get it now. I, I, I think I man managed to sort of um, figure out at least a, a plan or a pathway for what they're doing, knowing full well that I might be completely wrong. And at the end of the interview, I'd like to explore the why. Why are they doing this? I know you're still searching for that answer, but let's wait until the end of the interview to discuss that. Now, this is probably the question most people ask you. Do you think aliens are walking among us? Well, you know, that used to be my favorite question ever asked uh, when I did interviews. Uh, I love the question because I got to say, absolutely not. There's no evidence whatsoever that aliens are walking among us. And I felt sane then. I felt like I was a normal person, that I had a normal thought pattern. Um, but uh, once I began to get reports of people interacting with uh, aliens on a daily life basis, as opposed to on board or being taken on board a UFO or something, uh, I, and I got, began to get one report after another in fairly rapid succession, uh, I realized that uh, I could no longer say that they weren't walking among us. And uh, and so I, I, I now say that they, well, they, they can, it's possible, it, it certainly is uh, uh, within their limits, uh, 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 yes. <laughs> and now it's, it's my least favorite question, because I, I, I know how crazy it sounds, even though I've been been with this for for almost half a century i still know how how crazy it sounds uh, for people just listening in for the first time and here's a guy who says that our aliens are, are living here and walking among us and all that it's it's nutty i should have asked you this back when you were not retired at temple did you ever face any criticism from your colleagues in academia by choosing to study this extracurricularly I was a, years ago when when the threat came out. I was a subject uh, of something that, that was called a list serve. Everybody's a member of this sort of group, and they all sure. could communicate with each other. For six weeks, uh, faculty members who couldn't understand uh, why I was doing this. They found no evidence for it whatsoever. There was no evidence in the book The Threat, which is actually a pretty darn good book, I must say. And um, and why would I? Nobody, absolutely nobody within the scientific community at Temple University, nobody confronted me in my office, knocked on the door, sat down and said, Jacobs, what the hell are you doing? What is this all about? <laughs> right. not, not a single scientist ever did that. Well, I can think of Dr. John Mack. I think of uh, Bud Hopkins. These are respected people as well. And uh, we have Dr. Leo Sprinkle. So there's you all provide the high caliber that we need in this field in order to bring the respect that is deserved. Uh, I, I would disappear. I disagree with the word high caliber. <laughs> John Mack was high caliber. He was at Harvard for 40 years. He was a, uh, a one of the founders of the uh, uh, um, psychology in the nuclear age program. Right. He he was a, pub, a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, author. He was a major character. Uh, Bud was uh, a major character within the art world, but but uh, 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 his first book. A missing time sort of made him a major figure in UFOs, and when you say that, then you're talking a very about a much smaller group of people, and then then came me, and and there's other ones too, but the 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 interest in the subject is still high among average people, it seems to me, but for the academic and scientific community, it's probably at its lowest it's ever been since the beginning of the phenomenon in 1947, at least the beginning of our knowledge of the phenomenon in 1947. Why do you think that is? 
I think that it's true uh, f- uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, it's always been on the fringe. It's always been sort of crazy. You can't get here from there. Why would they do this as opposed to that? You know, that those kinds of questions, which are, are sort of stupid questions, but scientists tend to ask those. And um, and also the fact that uh, in the ni- in the early 1990s, uh, well, 1990s, uh, the cable uh, cable television came of age, and suddenly more and more channels were put on, hundreds of channels now, and they had to fill up that time with programming. And the abduction phenomenon, the UFO phenomenon, I should say, not so much abductions, but the UFO phenomenon uh, uh, came under that rubric and and they uh, began to have all sorts of shows about uh, UFOs, UFO hunters and UFO divers and UFO swimmers and whatever. And it became then, I think, just another popular culture item along with all the shows uh, that featured supernatural things and, uh, uh, you know, dead people coming back and angels and all that. And, and, and I think that, the, the, that there was a general backing away from the phenomenon, from the scientific community at that point. Uh, and a lot of them who got interested in the subject years ago uh, ultimately just got old and retired and, 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 you know, did what I want to do. They just started watching television and doing nothing else. So there's a number of reasons for it, but the main thing is is that it became just another item in the general gloss of, of popular culture of which there it's just buried in. The thing is is that it is not uh, 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 superstitious. It's not spiritual. It's not it's not anything that's related in a sense to human existence other than kidnapping them, uh, and uh, it, it's it's not. Yeah, people say, well, it's paranormal, and I suppose it's paranormal, but it doesn't really fit into any category that we know of. It's unique uh, among all the odd things that have ever happened to anybody. It's, it's, there's, let me just ramble on here for one second and, and get into this phenomenon. There are three pillars to the abduction phenomenon it is global. The United States does not have a corner on the abduction market. People write to me from all over the world. Now, I can't say every country, obviously, because I don't know what's happening, for example, in uh, North Korea. But, uh, but I, get, I get emails from all continents uh, of the country, of, of the world, rather, and uh, it's global and always has been global, just exactly like the UFO phenomenon. Because the UFO phenomenon and the abduction phenomenon are, in my opinion, one and the same. And there's one great flaw with that argument, which I can talk about later. Number two, it's intergenerational. If a person is an abductee, their mother or their father was an abductee, and they were abductees because uh, their mother or their father or both or whatever were abductees. So if a person... Ha- gets married to a non-abductee, of which the chances are like 95%, uh, and they have two kids, both those kids will be abductees. And when those kids grow up and get married to non-abductees and have two kids each, those uh, four kids will be uh, abductees. So one person, therefore, can create a lot of abductees uh, down through the generations. What that does is it keeps up with the population. That is to say, when I was born, there was like 2.2 billion people on Earth. Now there's 7.3 billion people on Earth. And the number of abductees is probably in percentage close to the same it was before or else it's expanded. Whatever it's done, it has kept up with the population growth. And you have to have that if you have a global phenomenon. The third pillar is it is clandestine. It is secret. It is secret from the abductee and it's secret from people around them. So it's not a perfect secrecy, obviously, because we know about it, uh, but it's good enough. And uh, those three things working together 
sort of shape what what people say, what people remember, what people see, and all that. And uh, it's it's something that we all have to keep in mind when we talk about this. When I think of you know, if you go to the bookstore or TV, as you said, a lot of these programs are shown in, in what's considered paranormal or science fiction. But the definition of paranormal is what is beyond the scope of normal scientific understanding. But if abduction and the hybridization program are real, why is it still falling within the paranormal realm? Because people just don't know enough about it. They they, they just assume that it's paranormal. I don't think it's paranormal. I think it's odd as this may sound, I think it's normal. I think that we are part of a normal process that has happened probably many times before. Now, people ask, well, scientists in particular say, well, you know, traveling at the speed of light means that our closest uh, star, you know, uh, in, in our own galaxy will take uh, 10 zillion years to get here. They can't get here from there. And, uh, and yes, there might be liquid water on Mars, so maybe they come from Mars. But uh, when people think of life on Mars, they usually think small, uh, you know, tiny little bacteria or creepy crawlies that are half an inch long or something like that. They don't think in in intelligent civilizations. However, most of of the information that we've found that astronomers and astrophysicists have uncovered in the past 20 years all point to the fact that uh, life is probably ubiquitous uh, uh, throughout the universe, and, and that means our galaxy as well. Now, if there is life out there, it has to, and it, and it has any technology at all, it has to be extremely, extremely advanced compared to our technology. And the reason is, our technology is brand spanking new. It just happened. It just evolved. And if you want to put a, a year on it, you can say, uh, 500 years, just 500 years. And if you want to go back, you can say 5,000 years. Well, at 5,000 years, it's just started. It's We're in the first phase of it. It's just uh, 5,000 years in geological or universal time is nothing. It, it doesn't compute. It's, it's, it's nothing. So if they have any technology at all, it's going to be very, very advanced. And that is what people have been describing since the beginning. What threw us, what absolutely astounded us when we began to look into this subject was their ability to be, um, how can I say this, medically advanced. They knew everything there was to know about uh, human uh, neurological systems, uh, uh, and and everything else that happens inside of a human it is just kind of amazing, uh, and that we did not understand at all. That 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 was totally unexpected. Uh, but that is also what we're seeing now. There's a flaw in this argument I just gave you, and the flaw is there might be so many civilizations out there with technology that a few of them might indeed be pretty much at our level, just starting out. That's the flaw. (laughs) But for the most part, if they have serious technology, they're going to be very advanced uh, and therefore difficult to uh, uh, understand, difficult to to grab one, difficult to uh, entice a UFO to land and then throw a net over it. You know, whatever we want to do, we can't do. And scientists don't understand that. I, 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 I hate to say that. It, it sounds, I'm not a scientist. I'm just some guy off the street. And, uh, uh, but, but scientists do not get this. They, they, they can't expand their views to understanding that people around the world are saying the same exact things about what is happening to them. They're describing the same insides of UFOs in the same way with 
everything to lose and nothing to gain by saying that. And it's the most astounding thing that has ever happened in, in human history. They they can't they don't get it. They they, they can't understand it. And but, I don't get why they don't get it. But isn't this they, the same same thought process that people had, say, during the Wright brothers' times? They were even sued in court because people would not believe. They thought they were lying and they were sued and they had to prove that they could actually put something, you know, heavier than air to fly and they'd prove everybody else wrong. And 66 years later, we went to the moon. Well, if one believes that we went to the moon, but just as you said, technology is brand spanking new. But there's this notion that most abductees come from the backwoods of, of rural locations. Do the abductees you have investigated come from backwoods or do they come from all strata of society? They come from backwoods and all strata of society. I work with people who are psychiatrists and abductees, psychologists who are abductees, uh, medical doctors who are abductees, therapists who are abductees, university professors who are abductees, and then all the way down through people who could never hold a job and dropped out of school when they were very young in grammar school almost, and uh, and 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 everybody in between. It just uh, it's it, it's a mixed bag. It's anybody and everybody because it's intergenerational. So it's not just one strata of society. Why scientists don't get that, I, 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 it, it's beyond me. I, I, I can't understand scientists' minds, I, I have to admit. Uh, they, they, this has is, this is been going on for decades and decades. And people who are major scientists are themselves abductees. But they know that if they were ever to come forward and say that they are an abductee, they would destroy their careers. So they just keep quiet. Uh, they would have, their, their ability to have people believe what they're saying would drop to zero. Uh, there, there, there's everything to lose and nothing to gain for the, uh, the scientific community by going forward with studying this uh, at all. Even, even scientists who are, abdu who are themselves abductees. You know, I can think of so many people in doing what I do. I guess I'm privileged or not to have been able to speak with a lot of them. And when I say not, is because sometimes they provide information to me that I cannot share without their authorization. And some of them are, for example, this businessman who showed me incredible pictures. He does not want to write a book. He does not want his name out. His wife doesn't even know what's going on. He feels that if he even comes out or his wife finds out that his voice is out there on radio, that she may divorce him. Do you deal with situations like these? Yes. And I have to warn people that people say, uh, can they bring their husband or wife, uh, you know, to the first session? They're a little bit frightened. Uh, you know, what, what am I going to do to them and this and that? And I tell them the best thing to do is to come alone for the first couple of sessions. After that, bring whoever you want. 99% of them leave it alone. They uh, they, they, they understand that there's reproductive aspects here, that there's all sorts of things that go on that they don't want their spouse to know. Uh, and when, in fact, the sp they do tell their spouses that they're abductees, and, of course, the children are abductees, too, uh, if they ever get divorced for whatever reason, uh, the situation becomes that the, uh, the, the non-abductee will say that the abductee uh, thinks that he or she is dancing with aliens and she's crazy and I want the kids. Exactly. And so uh, I tell I, I, I'm required ethically to tell them that they can say anything they want to anybody. I don't care. But here is the downside, and I tell them the downside. And sometimes they tell their spouses, and they get support. Sometimes they tell their spouses, and they, they don't. They just get ridicule. Now, the problem with ridicule is, okay, that's fine. That's good. They're sleeping together in the, in the same bed. And then one day, the non-abductee, let's just say the husband, sees something. One night, let's just say a light, somebody standing by the bed, whatever it is, and realizes, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is real. Into divorce court, I want the kids. 
so it, there, it, it's a lost, lost situation. Now, some abductees, you know, husbands or wives are obviously are supportive and good and they're OK with it. Uh, and most of those just don't believe it's happening. But um, but it's a tricky situation. It's very difficult. I can't make up people's minds for that. I just tell them the pros and the cons and they can make up their own minds. Uh, but it's it's this is not an accepted phenomenon by most people and it's so off the wall crazy that uh and so let's just put it this way it is so amazingly unlikely that uh, the only way that you can think about it is with disbelief and i think of all the people you know as you mentioned psychiatrists psychologists scientists physicians university professors you name it the whole gamut retirees unemployed you have to wonder folks you know it's important to note that the abductees have careers and i'm sure they fear not only that they will lose their careers their spouses their credibility their friends but their desire to fully understand what has been happening to them david must really outweigh the danger of disclosure, or they wouldn't be seeking answer. Are these people literally des so desperate to find answers when they go to you? That is an extremely good point, and that is true. Uh, I warn people before they come to me about the, the, the cons of coming forward. Uh, how if you talk about this at work, you'll get fired. And I've had several people do that and get fired. Uh, and if you uh, talk about it with your husband, well, there's consequences to that. Or your wife, there's consequences to that. And uh, uh, I said, as a result, there's isolation. You feel like you're alone. Uh, people can talk to me whenever they want. I don't charge any money for anything I do. And they can spend as much time with me as, they, as they've wanted during sessions and all that. Uh, but, um, but, but telling people is a very dangerous thing. And yet high functioning people come to me anyway. Now there's, there, there's an aspect to this on my website. I have a questionnaire uh, that I get so many questionnaires. I can't answer them all, unfortunately, but, um, uh, the questionnaire pretty much tells me whether they're an abductee or not. Uh, and they, the last question is, you know, uh, how do you, why are you writing this questionnaire? Are you just curious? Uh, are you, uh, is it nagging questions that you've had? Are you desperate? You know, whatever. And I tend to take people who say that they're desperate. In other words, they know something is going on. Usually they've been to a psychologist or a psychiatrist saying, Doc, what's wrong with me? I keep thinking that I'm dancing with aliens, I'm, you know, on board a UFO ship and all that. And uh, the psychologist will say, well, this is probably sexual abuse in childhood, you know, and now these memories are coming out uh, as having uh, uh, sexual encounters with aliens. See, that's, that's how it works. Now, the evidence for that concept, which was a major concept for many years, the evidence for that was well within the range of zero. <laughs> if, I may, if I may inflate that number. It, it, it dropped below zero, I think. Um, nobody could ever show that how that worked, as far as I know. Uh, so, uh, uh, so the psychologist then works with the person, and abductions continue. Start abductions start in childhood, and then continue all the way up into old age, and they happen over and 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 over again, uh, hundreds of times. And that is, I'm not joking. And so uh, uh, the abductions happen to them uh, during the time that they're seeing the psychologist who's trying to say it was when you were sexually abused by somebody when you were nine years old or whatever, you know. And they don't remember anything like that. And But the, uh, the what they do is they spend tons of money on psychologists and they're still being abducted. They go home that night and they're abducted. And it, it, made, it makes no sense. It's senseless. A lot of people will go to clergymen and they'll say, well, this thing is happening to me. What do I do? And they'll say, well, this is obviously demonic. Uh, and so they get a prescription then. They, they get a diagnosis. It's demonic, which is good. And then they get a prescription, which is also good. Go home and pray. Pray it away. And if you pray long enough, you know, it'll go away. Or exorcism. So, 
uh, well, not, not quite exorcism because they're not living within them, but uh, or whatever. But uh, but it's it's prayer that will help them. So they pray and pray and pray, and it just keeps happening. So they go back eventually to their minister or clergyman or whatever it is, and they and they tell him it's still happening. And the clergyman says, "Well, the problem here is you're not praying hard enough." So they go home and they redouble their efforts, and now they're praying all the time. And they, you know, and it does not matter; it's still happening. And that's when they 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 just wander away from from standard uh, theories about this. It, those are the ones I like to take, you know, for uh, to to work with and uh, and to deal with. I, I, I would prefer to work with people whose lives have been severely truncated or hurt in some way or or who are dealing with it every day and just and have to get it out of their minds. And so that's that's sort of what I do. Uh, and uh, I don't like to, to work with people who just are curious. Because if they find out that they are, in fact, abductees and are being abducted all the time, their lives change absolutely positively right now. And oftentimes, not for the better. So I, I'm not in the life-ruining business, and uh, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I would rather help people rather than hurt people. I guess a lot of people probably go the, like, call it standard of care route. I'm just thinking of, of a physician's world. Somebody who has cancer goes to the the oncologist, and they say, you know, there's no no there's no way that we can save you. And once they're desperate and there's a point of no return, they go to the alternative doctor. In your case, when people go to the psychologist or psychiatrist or their priest or what have you, and nothing changes, that's when they go to you? That's exactly, that's, that's right. The, the, well, that's when they fill out my questionnaire and I, and I might accept them, but there, there's so many people I just... I, I, you know, I can't accept everybody, but, um, but that's right. I, I, I'm, I, I'm a secondary person or, or a tertiary person, but, uh, I, uh, once they learn what's going on with them and once they understand this has been going on all their lives, uh, they tend to get interested in the subject. They become what I call sort of, uh, scientist reporters they 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 report back to us uh, what is happening what's going on and all the rest of that because we have no no means of knowing otherwise of course and um and they they then have sort of a job a a role to play and they'll do that for a bunch of times and then eventually they just get tired of uh, doing the same things over and over again they want to get on with their lives and they're not anxious as they used to be and they can sleep at night now and they don't care whether they're abducted anymore and i feel i've won a victory then that i feel that i've, I've done the right thing I've, i've helped this person to have a normal life in your experience david do abductees let me use this word confabulate fabricate imaginary experiences as compensation for loss of memory and, and relate events that either did not happen although they think they did, or happened differently from what they remember. And what do you do as a researcher when presented with false information? How do you discern what is true or not? Right. Well, the uh, the amount of confabulation that I hear is, uh, let's just say, all the time, <laughs> especially in conscious rem consciously remembered uh, memories, uh, consciously remembered events. Um, people think, oh, the person remembers things consciously without that horrible, ugly, terrible hypnosis situation, and uh, where people were were hypnotists put ideas in their minds and then they think it's happening to them, you know, and all that. Uh, actually, uh, um, when people remember things consciously, there's a tremendous amount of confabulation, and so I just say. Well, that's very, very interesting. Um, let's see what happens. You know, I don't normally do conscious memories in the first several sessions. I will do that later. Uh, I, they have to. There's a, there's a reason for that, and the reason is that their conscious memory is uh, usually most impactful to them. They've told a bunch of people about it. They've got their 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 lives, sort of so to speak, at stake in that conscious memory. And when that conscious memory, when we finally look at the conscious memory, they realize very quickly, this is not exactly the way they remembered it. 
this is different. This is very, very different than what they than what they would been telling people for years and years. Uh, and um, there's it's the way you do it. It's just through simple questioning techniques. The problem is is that a lot of people who do abduction research tend to accept everything an abductee says at face value. That is a fatal error. You cannot do that. The confabulation is too widespread. The abduction phenomenon goes from A to Z. It's, it's chronological. It's logical and it's chronological. It goes A to B to C to D all the way to Z, and then which is going back or whatever, how many letters there are. Uh, what people do when they are... Um, recounting a conscious memory that they have not actually uh, looked at through a competent researcher. Uh, what they're doing is they're talking about, A, I think there's somebody coming in my room. Then suddenly they're at C, I'm lying on a table. And, uh, uh, then, then there's Q. Then there's the number seven. Then there's an exclamation point. Then there's L. And then there's Z. <laughs> and, uh, and that's that's their story and that's what they remember things that didn't happen things that happened out of sequence things they forgot they skipped this and that they put it into a narrative and that is confabulation and even within the hypnosis situation people will confabulate sometimes and i can i can tell when that happens i've done this enough times to know when, when confabulation happens but the more they do it the less they confabulate the more they more careful and the more cautious they are with their own memories. They'll tell me, David, I don't know whether this is actually happening or I'm just making it up, but, and they'll tell me what it is. That, and I can make that determination if, if you know, if people say this all the time, it's a standard uh, situation. They're obviously not making it up. But, um, uh, but if I've never heard it before, it goes on the back burner, and I wait for other people to say the same thing. It's not evidence yet with one, one caveat. And that is that if I've worked with this person for like 30 years, and I know the person does not confabulate, and, and he or she says something that piques my interest, I will sometimes use it just because of the, the quality of the evidence that the person has presented over the, over the years. Yeah, that's the issue. I've had people, for example, I remember this one man who had an incredible abduction story. And after spending time with them, one day I had to ask him, so tell me, how, how is all of this coming to you? And he said, oh, it's coming in my dreams. So how do you know if it's purely dreams or is it factual? Well, the, the majority... Not by much, but the majority of the 1,150 abduction events that I've looked at have taken place when the person was not asleep. So they can't blame dreams. Uh, um, but in fact, right now, what's sort of current in the debunking community is, uh, number one, uh, um, uh, sleep paralysis. Right, right. Uh, and they don't really – debunkers are, are – uh, well, all debunkers have one or three traits. The first trait is uh, they don't know the evidence. The second trait is they do know the evidence and they ignore it. And the third trait is uh, they distort the evidence to comply with their own ideas. There are no exceptions to that for debunkers. There are no exceptions. They all do it. And um, and then, of course, they attack uh, 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 people who do hypnosis as they're, they're leading people and putting things in their minds and all the rest of that. And uh, for me, that, that's about the last thing I want to do. Uh, that's, I'm not interested in having bad information. Uh, and most people who come to me know full well the problems of hypnosis. They've all learned it on television, that they can be led, that, uh, that, that people can, that hypnotists can put things in their minds. And, uh, and they, they don't want that. And they also don't want to pick up things in popular culture and then tell them to me as if it happened to them. Most people are aware of those two things. I'm obviously aware of those things. Everybody's aware of those things. But um, uh, uh, debunkers 
don't seem to be aware of those things for some reason or another. They think that everything that uh, researchers say is just planted in their minds or picked up through popular culture, and it never really happened. And that, of course, is amazingly, um, let's just say, uh, in error. <laughs> that is not right. That is not true. In fact, I have told people straight out, I don't want you to say anything that happens to you that's bad. I don't want to hear anything bad. Do not tell me anything bad. A direct command. And then I'll do this relaxation induction, which is just a simple dumbass thing of telling people to relax and, uh, and then asking questions. And they couldn't care less about what I just barked at them. <laughs> they just tell me what happened to them. They, they, uh, my telling them I, they don't want to tell me anything. I don't want them to tell me anything bad means nothing to them. They're having their own experiences, and 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 uh, the hell with me. You know, they 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 know what's happening, and and it's happening to them, and all that, and uh, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, I've done other little tricks like that, and uh, to see whether they'll be uh, led or not. Uh, and of course, in the, in the beginning, I do I do a, a, a certain amount of that. And uh, looking for certain answers, and if they don't supply those kinds of answers, there's there's a problem. Uh, I remember once, years and years and years ago, I told a person, now, when you look down at the floor on board this object, you can see the parquet floor, which is a, a cross-weaving of, of pieces of wood uh, on the floor. You can see the parquet floor that everybody else reports, can't you? <laughs> Direct sort of off-the-wall leading question. Everybody says no, except one woman, and she said yes, to my amazement. <laughs> and I knew I had to be extremely careful with her, because she was <laughs> very, very leadable, and I don't want that, you know. <laughs> Can someone be making things up while under hypnosis? It, it, they can't, yes. There's enough information about abductions now where somebody can just simply make it up. And, and, and pretend and, and, and fool me. That is possible. But, you know, the people I work with, they don't want that. There, there's no reason for it. There is a reason for it. Uh, it. It's happened several times. It has not happened to me yet. Uh, but it has happened. It happened to um, a, a guy named Joe Nyman. It happened to John Mack. Uh, and it's happened to others where people make it up. Usually it's to debunk them. Or to write an article, there, 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 there's a, there's a, an ulterior reason for it. In other words, uh, and uh, John uh, fell prey to that, unfortunately, John Mack, and and uh, and of course there are every once in a while somebody who has serious mental problems slips through, and uh, I've had that problem. Bud Hopkins had that problem. Uh, John uh, Mack uh, sort of had a little bit of that problem, and uh, and you can't help it. Even though I try to do everything I possibly can to to not deal with people who are certainly uh, beyond my ability to help and and above my my pay grade, so to speak, of of zero, and uh, um, uh, and I, I try I try, I don't like to work with people, for example, who spent time in a mental institution or in a hospital for psychiatric problems. That's that to me is a little bit of a red flag, and I just don't know if I can if I can do that, you know. Uh, so I try to work with as normal people as is humanly possible, and ninety nine percent of them are. You know, many of your cases include people who say the aliens are very concerned about the environment, and I have spoken to many of them who share the same stories. Are the aliens really concerned about the environment for us, or is it because they are concerned? of the environment they themselves want to live in. Right. Well, that's that second part is what I think is true. I rarely get environmental uh, accounts. Rarely. I've had a couple of them over the last almost 30 years. I have had a couple of them. But, uh, but most people don't say anything like that. And most aliens don't say anything like that. Uh, uh, and uh, so, uh, so I did write once in the threat that uh, in the, my book that came out in 1998 that 
what you said was true that that in fact if they if they are interested in the environment and i'm not sure that they are but if they are it's because of the uh, of the world that they want to live in and uh, uh i guess they don't want a world that turns into ice <laughs> something a little bit warmer now when i think of these beings visiting us from very distant worlds and the fact they may be they may have conquered the barriers of space and time it really makes you wonder david why they would need to be probing humans, for example, wouldn't they have the necessary technology to do what they are allegedly doing, but a little bit differently? Right. Well, the old concept of people are being abducted to be probed is really not a concept. Now, I talked about this in my first book, Secret Life, that came out in 92, uh, about primarily about table procedures and what happens to people and how eggs are taken from women and sperm are taken from men. Uh, there's staring procedures, there's there, there's an examination, etc., etc. All that is not, uh, except for taking eggs and, and sperm, uh, they are not particularly interested in human physiology. They know everything there is to know about human physiology. Uh, it's not a study. They're not testing us. They're not doing anything like that. In fact, in 1992, I had a, uh, uh, one of the categories of what they did for people was testing their certain abilities to do things. That turns out to be wrong. They weren't testing anything. They were training, as I now realize years later. And um, and uh, the taking people to have them lay on a table and be examined is never the reason for the abduction. I can use that word never here because I am absolute. <laughs> you always learn to use the word never, never, uh, and uh, and I and uh, yet I, I still use it. It's nearly always never <laughs> uh, for a, an examination. It's prelude to something else, and it has to do with uh, taking care of babies, taking care of a small children. Uh, you know the hybridization phenomenon, which we really haven't talked about yet, uh, and and doing um, other things with the abductee that are important for their program. Uh, the serious things that are important for the program while they lay on a table is uh, taking eggs and taking sperm. That's critical. Uh, extracting, uh, I'm sorry, uh, inserting fetuses or extracting fetuses for women. That's critical. And then a short examination, a neurological examination. Uh, they don't care whether you've got a cold. They don't care whether uh, um, uh, you've got cancer necessarily. They don't care about anything of those things. Uh, uh, there are no miracle cures for adults. Uh, sometimes adults will say that, they, that they've been cured of an upper respiratory illness that they had. had. Uh, they, they, had that, they had the flu or something and now they don't have it. Um, and I think that that has to do with the atmosphere they're in and uh, that that kills those kinds of germs so it's not spread to hybrids. That's a pure guess. Now, it's a guess based on one person's account. That's why I'm saying it's a guess. Um, but uh, in fact, uh, people who are abductees have died without any intervention. Intervening would mean a miracle cure would mean that uh, if this were happening to lots of abductees, would mean that they would draw attention to themselves, which means that they would put themselves in harm's way if uh, scientists begin to look into it through that through that angle. You bring you bring up a great point that I just had. If some of these hybrids are living on, say, spaceships, and they live in a very sterile environment, I would presume, then they are placed on Earth. What kinds of defenses do they have for all the pathogens that are available in front of our noses on a daily basis? Yeah, we don't know that. I, have no, I don't know that. I, I do know that I have never heard of a sick uh, um, hybrid. Uh, I, I've never heard of any hybrid complaining that they're sneezing or anything like that. Uh, in, in this new book of mine, um, one hybrid's or I call a hubert, the one who's actually living here, so that I could use that word and people would know this is what I mean. Uh, a, a hubrid um, 
talked to a woman who who he was sort of attached to. She was showing him how to live here, and she had broken her her arm, and he she was wearing a cast. And he came up and he said uh, something to the point of, "What's that?" And she said, "Well, she broke her arm, and, and she went to the doctor and, and put it on a cast." And uh, he said something to the point of, "Well." When that when something like that happens to them, they just go get it fixed. In other words, it's some some sort of procedure that they do, and then they walk away, and that's it. And you have to assume that that's probably the, the case, I mean, because what we're looking at here is not just advanced technology, but advanced uh, physiological technology. They could, they they can do anything they want with with humans and with hybrids uh, hybrids uh, physiologically, and so. Uh, uh, and therefore, I guess that, uh, that that their lack of the ability to get sick means that in some way their uh, their autoimmune system has been bolstered to a fantastic degree that fights off any kind of uh, enemy uh, uh, cells that uh, uh, enemy problems that are getting into them from the inside or cells that are turning into bad cells through uh, like cancer, for example. Well, if they came all the way here and they're floating above our planet, let's say, their level of intellect and technology must be much far advanced than than we do since we haven't been able to get to where they're from. And this is just speculation on my part, but if human beings had to evacuate our planet for, for any reason, first we would have to explore a new prospective planet. If the conditions in the planet were not suitable for us, but there were other beings there, then one would think that in order to preserve the human race, we would either have to change the conditions of the new planet to allow us to live there, or we would need to adapt our DNA to live there, hence creating a human-alien hybrid. Do you think this is what may be happening there, here? I, I don't know that. Uh, now, if you're talking about the aliens doing that to us, um, sure. I don't. I don't know that either. <laughs> One of the oddest things about this phenomenon is we don't really know a whole lot of whys. Uh, why the why question? I should say. Uh, I, I personally am not very wise, but uh, the why questions we don't know. And um, uh, I, uh, uh, the interesting thing is, is that the hubrids who are living here don't know that either. In other words. They don't know why they are here. They don't have the big picture. They don't need the big picture. My guess is that the ones who are the leaders of this group are the insect-like ones, and they know the big picture. They understand what is happening, I think. I think. Uh, but my guess is that, that since they are the order givers and not the order takers, that uh, that they probably know the reasons for why this program is being conducted. Uh, and, and by the, the way, Hugh Hubrid, for those who are still wondering, haven't read the book Human Hybrid, correct? Humans, yeah, I just used the word humans and hybrids, and I put them together, and I eliminated a letter. R. <laughs> All right, well, a couple of letters in human too. Uh, and uh, but there's so many different kinds of hybrids who have different tasks. Uh, it just became cumbersome to try to try to figure out, you know, to use different names and all that. And I figured Huber is good enough. Those are the ones who are actually moving in into apartments uh, uh, singly and 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 in groups. Uh, whereas all the other hybrids, I think, and I, there's there's a caveat here because there's one one that I I knew was also living here, but most of the other hybrids live on board the UFO. They come down and they do this and they do that and they go back up. Now, are they, in essence, operating as part of a hive mind? In other words, individuality is non-existent. Yes. Let's take a step back uh, from this. Uh, uh, and we have to, what we're looking at is basically a workforce which ha that has a tremendous number of um, participants, all who, all of whom have been bred for specific tasks. It's not, we're not looking at an experiment on us or, or them trying to figure out what makes, what is society, how humans live. It, that's not really it. It is to settle hubrids here on this planet and 
everybody on board that UFO, everybody, including, unfortunately, unwilling abductees, are all part of this workforce. They're all working for this invasion, if I may use that phrase, that word, um, of these hubrids who are living here. Uh, we don't exactly know for what purposes, and the hubrids don't know what for what purpose. They, they don't know. All they know is that their task is to live here. Um, and the task for abductees is to teach them how to live here. So is there a hierarchy of authority? Well, probably yes, with the insect-like ones, or insectolins, as I call them, the praying mantis types. With them at the top, then comes um, gray aliens, taller, tall gray, small gray. Uh, there's probably reptilians or reptilins, as I call them, in there somewhere. I can get back to them later. And, um, and then there's early stage hybrids who look like a cross between gray aliens and humans and uh, more gray alien than anything else. And middle stage and later stage. And then there's specific uh, humanoid hybrids who are, some of them are called, I call them personal project hybrids, which was a phrase that one of them actually used, and um, who stay with an abductee from the time he or she is a child all the way through the course of their lives, and uh, and security hybrids who, who, who have one task and one task only, and that's to protect the hubrids who are moving in and to make sure that the abductee is kept in line and is not telling anybody about it, and uh, if they remembered anything. And there's other kinds of, uh, of hybrids, but every one of these hybrids has a task. They were all created for specific reasons, and uh, so I don't know whether that's hierarchical or not, uh, uh, um, it, but it probably is in some way. Well, it seems to be very militaristic. You know, a soldier has to follow orders without questioning. They may not know what the full picture is, just their individual mission without question. But, but what is the difference between a, a hybrid and a humanoid? Well, humanoids look pretty human, except that their brains think only one thing, like the security uh, hybrids. They look really human. They can walk among us, as they say. But all they think about is security. They have no concept of anything else other than security. Their brains were made to keep uh, those hybrids safe and to make sure that the abductees were kept in line. That's what they do. Uh, thinking beyond that is very, very difficult for them. So they're not quite human mentally, you know what I mean? Although they, they look it on the outside. Whereas hubrids are absolutely human in every way, except for one way and one extremely important way. And that relates to how people communicate. On board the UFO, all communication is telepathic. And there's oddities about that concept as well. But all community, all communication is telepathic. Abductees three, uh, are talked to telepathically and they respond telepathically. Uh, all hybrids talk uh, the same way. All gray aliens, all, even the, the, the insect-like ones, uh, they, all, they all do that. But it's more than just telepathic communication. Aliens and hybrids and hubrids can control humans from a distance. They can, not, not, not a mile away, but from feet away. They can make them think anything they want to think. They can make them do anything they want them to do. They can make them act any way they want them to act. They have total and complete control over humans' neurological systems. That makes us a second-class citizen. That makes them a first-class citizen who can do with us what they want. And that's what hubrids can do. Uh, and uh, that's, the, that's the only difference between them and us. But that is a life-changing difference. That's a difference that is monumental. It's not just that they're technologically advanced 
they are neurologically advanced. That is the disastrous situation. That's that's that, that's awful. That's you don't want that. Uh, uh, you don't want to think things that the abductee. I'm sorry, that the hybrid wants you to think. You know, you want to think for yourself. Uh, and that's what everybody reports. This is not unusual, and especially on board the UFO with telepathic communication. If this were psychological, people would say, well, you know, they're talking this really strange language. I can't understand a word they're saying. Oh, wait, now they're talking English to me. They're telling me to get up on the table. And now they're going back to talking their really strange language. We never hear that. Uh, there's never it, it, it's never like that. It's it's just straight uh, English, which is very odd. Um, and I, I have asked them to hear if they hear words or they hear concepts which translates or uh, translates into words or whatever. And basically, they're they're unsure of that, but they're they're hearing words, is from what I can gather, uh, and syntax and and all. Um, but it, it's it, one of the interesting things about about this kind of. Uh, uh, telepathic conversation is that with telepathy you can't hide your thoughts very well you can to a degree uh but not a whole big degree but you you actually can't to a degree but you can't form a plot with other people to take over the ship for example uh you and uh most right. things they can find out and neurologically they can actually and now I'm going to say something that's, that's totally crazy. People feel that they can actually mess with the neurons in their brains, that they can change the neurons in their brains to do certain, certain things physically, physically, uh, and report that quite often, actually. Um, and, uh, but but they, their, 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 their neurological abilities are, are just extraordinary. Now, if this... We're just being made up in people's imagination because, once again, this is a phenomenon that is real or not real. One of the two. There's nothing in the middle. There's no being mistaken. Uh, it's happening or it's not. Well, if it's mental and it's not happening, people would say, I say, well, how are they talking to you? Or, you know, what are they saying? Well, they're talking to me through their mouths. What do you mean? They're saying that I got to get up on the table. I can hear it through my ears, of course. We'd have that probably in the majority of cases, especially early on. But nobody says that. Nobody says that except under special circumstances when they're talking to a potential hubrid on board. And every once in a while, they will speak out loud. And that doesn't usually happen. I'm just saying that because it's rare, but it does happen sometimes. But 99% of the time, Everything is telepathic, and if this were psychological, that would not happen. Now, we have to take our one and only break, but before we take the break, let me read this, and I'll get your answer on the other side. And also, I want you to describe the hybrid society when we return. But, you know, David, with the advent of technology, I'm sure you've, you've heard the term transhumanism and singularity. In a way, I wonder if the new human of the future will live their life like a hybrid but in this case, connected to artificial intelligence. In fact, I just received information yesterday from the mainstream media that smartphones won't exist in five years. The plan is to replace them with AI. And when someone, someone wonders, what does that mean? Well, the phone will be part of your body. Can you comment on this when we return? How can people buy the book and all your other books? The uh, 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 best way is uh, through Amazon. You can click through on my website and go and get it that way. And, but it still goes to Amazon. I don't. I don't take money. So uh, um, uh, the best way is Amazon or, or, or BarnesandNoble.com. Excellent, folks. Don't go anywhere. This is a fascinating talk with Dr. David Jacobs. The title of the book: Walking Among Us: The Alien Plan to Control Humanity. Much more when we return. This is Mel Fabregas. And you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to VeritasRadio.com, click on Members, or subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, 
earthing and grounding products, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, fulvic acid, full body vibration machines, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy. Enjoy. 